2: Then you started to model it. The gospel then is modeled in your lifestyle. People can see you live it out, and then the gospel goes forth from you. This is the beautiful cycle of the gospel. This is the way it's always been. You hear the gospel, you see it modeled, you receive it, your life has changed, you start to model it now, and then the gospel goes forth from you. And this is the way it continues to go. And I love how Paul says here, and not just in your local region, he says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. When you look
1: back at your story with God, you will undoubtedly find other believers that played a part in your faith journey. Maybe someone prayed with you, or you heard a pastor's message, or you became curious about the change you'd seen in someone who gave their life to Jesus. Whatever your story, Pastor Gary shows us that it is all a part of God's purpose and plan for furthering the gospel. God has called you into that purpose, and sharing your story is a good start. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: These Jewish people who didn't believe in Christ stir up trouble. You'd think that it would be enough for, okay, finally, Paul left town. Good riddance. You'd think that they might think that. No, they're going to go 50 miles to the next town where Paul goes to stir up trouble there too. And then finally, people say, Paul, you need to just go even further. And so they, they put him on a, on a boat and he goes off to Athens where he continues his ministry. But that's the vitriol in, in the Jews who don't believe in Christ. They're stirring up trouble, not only in Thessalonica, but they go 50 miles to where Paul went to Berea to try to stir it up there as well. And the church at Thessalonica starts under this cloud. You've got three weeks. That's all Paul is there. Preaches the scriptures. Tells people about who Christ is. People get saved. This little nucleus starts a little church. Meanwhile, you've got all this persecution, antagonism, riots, people who don't don't like this good news. That's what gospel means. They don't like this good news. Now, if you... We're part of a startup church in a town that was rioting about your faith. How strong would you stay in your faith? I mean, think about it. Uh, you, you, you're in an environment where everybody around you, aside from the small group of people who have become believers with you, are angry at you. I mean, to the point where the, there's mob rioting about your faith in Christ. And this is challenging to me because I think, you know, here we are in the comfort and the coziness of our American freedom, which I'm very grateful for. The religious freedom that we have in our country, even though at times it's often being challenged in various ways. We have the luxury and the freedom and the pleasure of worshiping Jesus and following Jesus in our country. And yet... We experience a little embarrassment for our faith, and we bail. This church survived because there were people who were so serious about their faith that they didn't care whether there were mob riots around them. They didn't care if their life was in jeopardy. They're going to follow Jesus. They love him so much because of his demonstration of his love for them. And sometimes I think we can get so isolated and insulated in this little Christian bubble And we have no idea what a lot of people face for their faith. We have no idea around the world even today what a lot of people face for their faith. So how much more then should we be strong in the Lord? We have no excuse. I mean, what threats are are we under for our faith? So why are we embarrassed about Jesus? And why do we shrink back from declaring who he is? And why are we so careful about who's going to see our Bible on our desk or in our backpack? Or why are we so concerned? You know, Paul talks about how I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation unto all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people here, their very lives were on the line for following Christ. I don't think any of ours is. But this is the kind of antagonism and vitriol that was opposing them as this church started. So Paul, about a year later, is going to write to them some encouraging things about, stay strong, trials will come, persecution's going to happen, you're going to be tempted in your flesh. So those things are going to happen too, but Jesus is coming, so hold on to your faith, hold on to the hope. Jesus is coming again. But in the meantime, you're going to have some trials and temptations. Now that's all the background to this. So let's go back to 1 Thessalonians now and take a look here at least at chapter one. Verse one, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. That's the common introduction of Paul's epistles, grace and peace. That's the Greek and the Jewish Greeting, karis and shalom to you. He says in verse 2, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice those words. Not just work, labor, and endurance, but faith love, and hope. That's a common theme of Paul's throughout his epistles, particularly remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When talk, it's the love chapter. He talks about all these great qualities of love. And, the, and then he says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Those, those are the, the main things about our faith. Faith, love, hope. He says in verse four, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Now notice again, verse 4, he talks about how God has chosen you. We are chosen in him. Okay, this gets a, a bit controversial. We talked in, in our study of Ephesians, particularly about you know, who's chosen, who's not, and how does God go about choosing. Look, again, think of this in a corporate sense. In the Old Testament, the chosen ones of God were the, is, the Israelites, And even though the church has not replaced the Israelites, the parallel is the same. God spoke about the people of Israel in a corporate sense being chosen. And when you get to the New Testament, it's no different. He speaks about the corporate church as being chosen. Those who belong to Christ are the chosen ones. Don't get wrapped around the axle with this. And people worry like God chooses them like petals on a daisy. He chose me. He chose me not. He chose me. Am I part of the chosen? Get saved and then you're part of the chosen. It settles it. It's just like, I wonder if I am. If you love Jesus, you surrender your life to him. You're chosen, all right? So let's move on. And he talks about how the gospel came to you. And I love this. It's not just with words. It's also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction, he says. And he says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. Notice, he, he talks about how his own example. He says, you know how we lived among you for your, so, your sake. And verse 6, you became imitators of us you became imitators it's the word imitators in the greek is mimetes we get our english word mimic or mime and when when you know we've we've got uh, little grandbabies now and so you know riley's like a year and a half now and so you know how kids are they will mimic everything you do that's just the way kids are they see what you do they mimic you so be careful this family that I know of—not here at the church, not here at the church—I wouldn't call you out—but this family that I know of, their their little kid was about five years old and got mad something about his toys. Got mad, got really mad, and one day he said, he said he's just throwing this little temp, temper tantrum. And I won't say the word, but I'll I'll just abbreviate. He goes, "What the H is going on around here?" <laughs> and you know what, mom and dad realized. Mom and dad kind of use that word every now and again around the house, so the little five year old's going to mimic what they hear mom and dad do. I think it's hilarious, but it's a sad, it's a sad thing to laugh at. But it's, it's kind of to see a five-year-old, what the H is going on around here? But anyway, be careful. They will mimic us. Paul says here in a positive sense, you imitated us. And of the Lord, in spite of severe suffering, this is talking about that persecution now, they're living in a town that is riotous, got a mob, they don't like you, they're going to persecute you. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. All right, let me summarize what we just read here and what I'm calling the gospel cycle. Out of verses four through eight, what you see here is this beautiful cycle that Paul talks about, and this is how the cycle goes, starting at the top. He says, the gospel came to you. That's what he says back up there in verse four or verse five. Because our gospel came to you, Not simply with words, but also with power, with Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And the next thing he says is, we modeled it. He says, you know how we lived among you for your sake. That's the rest of verse 5. So the gospel came to you. Secondly, we modeled it. He says, and then you received it. You received the gospel. And then you became imitators you, you mimicked our relationship with Christ. You followed our example. You modeled it. And then he says, and then the gospel goes out from you. That's verse 7. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And, and then he says, and the Lord's message rang out from you. And not only to Macedonia, which is the local area, and Achaia, the local province, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So this is that gospel cycle. And this is the way it still happens with us today. The gospel comes to you. You know, if, if you know Christ as your Savior, at some point you responded to the truth of the gospel, whether it was here at Cornerstone or some other place previously, or some friend shared the truth of scripture with you, you heard the gospel, you heard the good news about Christ, it came to you, and then it came to you because people were showing it to you, not just with words, they were living it out, you saw the truth revealed through the lives of other people as, as it was modeled to you, then you received the gospel, you received the truth, you believed the truth, you responded to the truth, you became born again, you became a Christian then you started to model it the gospel then is modeled in your lifestyle people can see you live it out and then the gospel goes forth from you this is the beautiful cycle of the gospel this is the way it's always been you hear the gospel you see it modeled you receive it your life has changed you start to model it now and then the gospel goes forth from you and this is the way it continues to go and I love how Paul says here and not just in your local region he says your faith in God has become known everywhere Everywhere, and this is before the the technology age, the information age, their reputation had spread so far and wide that Paul said about this church, everywhere I go, people talk about you and your faith. Now, let me tell you how this challenges me. You and I need to read this and think to ourselves, everywhere we go, can people see clearly our faith in Christ? Is it a mystery to them, or is it clear? Everywhere we go, does our reputation precede us? In terms of our faith in Christ, now I ask this question on two levels. I ask this question corporately because, as the pastor at cornerstone, I constantly am wanting and you know to be sure like are we are we making a difference like is the gospel going forth from our church corporately, and then we need to ask the question individually now i, I just I get these kind of things often, and you don 't get to join in in the joy. so I just wanted to share with you in the last week. Two particular emails I got just about how the gospel's going out from our church corporately, and, and now through the wonder of technology with our services all being live uh, broadcast, and then with our radio ministry around the country. So I got this letter from a guy just like two days ago who said, I'm blessed by the teaching. In fact, the program that was aired yesterday, he's talking about the radio, he he listens to us on the Bridge FM, it's up in New Jersey, 103.1. He says, I'm blessed by the teaching. In fact, the program that was aired yesterday ended with exactly what I needed to hear, having been hit recently with excessive worry over things I cannot control. And he says, now I look forward to the commute home for another reason, because the program airs between 6 and 6.30, like drive time. And he says, I'm glad that Cornerstone is on the bridge in that time slot. I got this other beautiful email from this guy in Campbellsville, Kentucky. He said, in January 2016, my small church started Wednesday night services using the audio from the study of Revelation from our church. He says, my life was changed within three weeks of starting the study. Tonight, I will be leading a video study of judges from our teaching library in their Wednesday night service. So this small little church in Campbellsville, Kentucky is taking the church services that we have archived on our website and they're broadcasting it there in their sanctuary and having their own Wednesday night church service. I was so blessed by this. And he said, this is the third year now that we have been leading Bible studies using the material of your church. Our church is very thankful to your website and how it provides those that are seeking an opportunity to find it. We're in Campbellsville, Campbellsville, Kentucky, also located on the Green River Lake. Probably if the numbers were checked in our area, talking about the hits on the website, we'd have multiple hundreds of hits, probably will be a thousand or more as much as I listen to your website. Pray for our small church and for our success with our Wednesday night service. Isn't that a blessing just to hear what God is doing? So there are many ways that hopefully we're corporately getting the gospel out to be a part of this cycle. But this is a challenge to us Individually, I hope that wherever we go, we are a part of this cycle of the gospel, and that our reputation as individuals is known by others as being believers. It was Benjamin Franklin who said that it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation, but only one bad one to lose it. And so we have to be always conscious of our walk with the Lord and of our relationship with him because people are watching. And could it be said of us, as Paul said, of this church and those who were part of this church, your faith in God has become known everywhere. And he adds there in verse eight, therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us They, others, tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, I want you to circle two words in that last verse, verse 10. I want you to circle the word wait and wrath, wait and wrath. There are many verses in the New Testament, I'm going to give you some, that speak of the importance of waiting for the Lord's return. Here's one, Hebrews nine twenty eight. Hebrews nine twenty-eight says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Listen to this out of James five, verses seven to eight. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And then this, 2 Peter chapter 3. They will say, meaning people who don't believe in the return of Christ, they will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget, This one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So over and over again in the Bible, I just read Hebrews, I read James, I read 2 Peter, and then you have it here in 1 Thessalonians. The objective now is that we wait, and we wait patiently for the return of Christ. I don't know when he's coming again, and anybody who presumes to know a date and tries to predict it is a false prophet. Jesus himself said, no one knows the day nor the hour for the return of Christ. Jesus said, not even the Son, but only the Father who is in heaven. So God has a divine timetable And Jesus is going to come again when God has determined that his second coming shall appear. In the meantime, we wait. Now, why is he delaying? Why doesn't he just come back now? Why didn't he come back 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago? Why is he waiting? Listen, he's waiting for as many people as possible who will surrender their hearts to him. That's why he's waiting. God wants none to perish. He wants as many to come to repentance. So he's waiting. And he's waiting patiently. But there will come a day when time is up. Time is up. Don't get too comfortable, friends. And God will say, enough is enough. I've waited long enough. And his patience will reach a limit. And then Christ will return. So we have to be ready. But his patience is extended to us. His delay is because he wants as many people to be saved. So that... We can be rescued from the coming wrath. That's the other word that I asked you to circle there in verse 10, because Paul reminds us here that we're to wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised, God raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, the question is, what wrath exactly is he speaking of here? Is it the wrath of hell or is it the wrath of the great tribulation? Because there is a period of time, the Bible teaches, a seven year period of tribulation that will come upon the earth. And it will be a catastrophic event, series of events for seven years. The earth itself will be completely, completely devastated by the judgment of the Lord. So is Paul saying here, Hey, Jesus is coming again. So wait patiently because you're going to be spared from the wrath of hell. Or is he saying you're going to be spared from the wrath of the second of of the tribulation? Yes. I mean, does it matter? I mean, whatever wrath and whatever form the wrath comes, I want to be rescued from it, amen? I want to be rescued from the wrath. If it's the wrath of hell, thank you, Lord. You died for my sins to rescue me from the wrath of hell. Or is it the wrath of the second coming? I think, and most Bible scholars believe, that in the context of all of this discussion about the second coming, that the church will be rescued by the Lord prior to the tribulation. Well, there's three people glad about that. And I join in the applause, but if you'll glance ahead to chapter 5 and and we'll get into more details when we get further into this letter, but if you'll if you look into chapter 5 he speaks about this coming wrath. He he gives like a um, a preview of the tribulation in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction, thats that's the inference to the seven years of tribulation, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Okay, there's a coming wrath of God. And we'll, we'll talk, when we get to chapter 5, we'll we we'll parallel it with the book of Revelation. So we'll get into a little bit of Revelation when we get further in this letter. But glance further into chapter 5, verse 9, because this is a great verse. This is a great verse from verse 9 to chapter 5. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now I know plenty of Christians, and we'll get into this more later in, the, in our study. I know plenty of Christians who believe in, in the position of what's called post-trib, post-tribulation, which basically means that there are Christians who believe, some who believe, that Christians go through the tribulation period, and then they get rescued by Jesus. But I like 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and I don't like it just because I'm a Mamsie and I don't want to go through seven years of tribulation. I like it because I believe theologically, contextually. Doctrinally, it makes the most sense That destruction's coming upon the earth Oh, by the way, God has not appointed us to suffer wrath But to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ So there is a rescue that happens for the church All and up and up, you Jump in
1: and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new life We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we encourage you to read over today's message on your own. And then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: You go, but still you know.